Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Dr. Eisendrath here. Yes, sir. Well, we're happy to have you, Dr. Eisendrath. Thank you so much for taking a moment uh, to talk with us. So, um, yeah, I'm just thrilled because I, um, when I first looked at your book, I have to admit I was not sure. And then as I, as I dove into it, I went, oh, my goodness, this guy's really done it. And he has really, <laughs> he has really embraced the, 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 the big picture of what it can be to work with mindfulness I mean, we, after all, um, Dr. Eisendrath is, I'm sure you, as you are aware that mindfulness, the word is everywhere, and people are, are throwing it at everything, you know, mindfulness when you eat your ice cream, or mindfulness is your, so it's, it's been bandied about in such a way that, that the public may not find it to be as useful a term as they might otherwise, and yet in your uh, fine book here, you really give us a very graspable and digestible way of, of understanding what it's about. So let's start, uh, Ms. Dr. Eisenrath. Maybe we wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about kind of how did you get started in medicine? How did you lend up where you are? Let's get, get a little background, if you wouldn't mind telling us about that. I was uh, always interested in, uh, in medicine, and uh, as I learned more about it and uh, got into medical school and uh, learned about the, the different specialties. I found myself drawn to uh, internal medicine and psychiatry, and uh, those were the areas that I found most interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, going into uh, psychiatry was a way for me to uh, sort of blend those two interests because in psychiatry, I specialized in consultation liaison psychiatry, which is that area of psychiatry that deals with medical illness and uh, problems in the mind-body interface. Mm. So that's what I was interested in from my early days in psychiatry uh, on through the present moment. And that's how I became interested in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Well, it, for our listeners who may not know the difference between a research psychiatrist and a sort of everyday-in-the-field kind of psychiatrist, maybe you could also fill in that blank a little bit for us. What, what it, tell our listeners, what is a research psycho- psychiatrist and kind of how is that differentiated from, uh, your, like you say, your everyday psychiatrist? Well, a research psychiatrist is somebody who uh, may have a clinical practice just like other psychiatrists, and, and I did for a long time. But in addition, uh, in the research capacity, applies uh, scientific methods to studying uh, what clinical interventions uh, are being carried out and measuring the effects of them. So, for example, in the, our study of depression, we uh, I developed what was called the Practicing Alternatives to Heal Depression Study, which aimed at uh, teaching people techniques that could uh, help them recover from depression. And as part of that, we measured both clinical outcomes, like were people less depressed, were they less anxious, and so on. And we also studied brain effects, looking at functional MRI to see what our intervention had in terms of uh, effects on brain function. So a research psychiatrist 
uh, has clinical tools that they use, but then adds on research capabilities, both clinically and sometimes, uh, as we did, on brain effects as well. Well, I found your graphs to be so helpful and and useful um, to visualize what you'd been talking about through the course of the book. And, of course, you're... You, you, you forthrightly talk about you're building on the work of John Teasdale and, and others who were early developers of, of this particular work, this uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So, um, yeah, but they're, they're talking about you as an early adopter. So, um, and then also you received grants from the National Institutes of Health for this work that you, the one I think you just described was, was, a, was a grant-funded work that came from NIH. Is that true? Yes, that's right. Right. And anyway, so uh, the, uh, of course, these works, the, 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 this is built on the, the work of uh, John Kabat-Zinn and others. So maybe you could, let, let's go back. And one of the, by the way, I do want to celebrate how you've, the way you've in, uh, talked about, as you write, the, you know, the origins of your work and crediting all the various people along the way. Uh, um, and so you really do build, a, for me, you build a, a good foundation as a reader to so you can see in terms of the development of kind of, kind of where you got to with, with the whole work. But let's start with, and we're, I should say, st- st- move away and say we're talking to uh, Dr. Stuart Eisendrath, the, the author of a very new book called When Antidepressants Aren't Enough, Harnessing the Power of Mindfulness to Alleviate Depression. And that's to be the top, top, topic of our work today. So um, talk about kind of how you got to the mindfulness part. I mean, you, you, you obviously, just with, with John Teasdale's work and so on, you, you picked up on that. But also you also, for your own purposes, you went back to the, the Kabat-Zinn work. So maybe tell us, our listeners, a little bit about that uh, evolution, if you would. Well, John Kabat-Zinn's work, uh, which was mindfulness-based stress reduction, was how I first got interested in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for something that could help me with my own stress. And uh, I found it to be quite remarkable. I really had uh, tremendous success with it. In fact, I took it uh, a second time after I took the first eight-week course mm-hmm. and then went on to do uh, individual uh, uh, retreats after that and uh, that focused on mindfulness and sort of brought me to a new level of that. But that mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, developed by John Kabat-Zinn was the uh, foundation for the work uh, by Teasdale and others on mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. They look quite similar. If If they were in separate rooms and you were looking down at them, they'd look quite similar, except mindfulness-based stress reduction is really a very general approach. It has people who have cancer, heart disease, chronic pain, as well as people who suffer from emotional difficulties. Whereas mindfulness-based stress, uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, is really more focused on depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I got started with that because uh, the. Uh, the use of antidepressants is probably the number one uh, method used to treat depression in this country. And what we find with that, uh, and I've treated uh, thousands of people with this uh, in our UCSF Depression Center, is that antidepressants alone uh, only help about 50% of people recover after two full antidepressant trials. So that means that 50% of people haven't recovered. And our depression center, which I started in about the year 2000, uh, we wanted to have something available to offer those people who hadn't recovered and to give them a way that they could be self-empowered and gain uh, some skills that they could take with them wherever they go. And I think for many of our listeners who are I mean, as you write in your book, that one-sixth of American population are, are on psychiatric medications, most of them on antidepressants. So you're, we're dealing with a, a large, large public cohort of people that are, that are, that are interfacing with, uh, with psychiatric medications. And so you had a, a, I mean, I can imagine you had a, 
uh, a great big field to work with, so to speak. And uh, that that said, um, the 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 cognitive therapy part, of course, is a different adds a different wrinkle part of it. So we we just we're going to take a break in about a, a little less little less than two minutes. But maybe in a little less than two minutes, maybe you could give us a, a little synopsis of what cognitive therapy then adds to the process. Well, uh, cognitive therapy and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy uh, helps people relate to their thoughts differently. I like to think of it like this. If you were walking down a street and you looked at a series of storefronts, if you're depressed, the storefronts are filled with negative thoughts, and you go into the store and buy the thoughts and take them home with you. If you learn uh, to recognize the thoughts, and that's where cognitive therapy comes in, you can recognize, ah, there's a depressive thought. But instead of going in to buy the thought, you walk on down the street, the negative thought is still there because you can't really make those thoughts go away completely. But you don't have to go in the store and buy them. You're able to continue wa- continue walking where you want to go in life. And that's really how we blend some cognitive therapy aspects into the treatment approach. That's a wonderfully simple idea, and it's a totally... For me, it's a totally gratifying idea because, of course, the, the, the store image and going in and buying it and so on, that, that is so uh, coherent and, and so easy for so many people to grasp, I'm sure. Uh, Dr. Eisendrath, we need to take a break. We'll be back with other people. We'll be back, that is, the program in just a moment. So if you'd kind enough to stay with us, we'll be back with you in just a moment. Let's see if we can get this to go. Uh. Wow, it's December already. The spirit of giving is in the air, and we hope you'll consider giving to KSVY and help us reach our goal of raising $30,000 by the new year. KSVY and its volunteer hosts are always here for you, especially in the times when you need us most. Well, now we need you. We need your support so we can keep doing what we do and do it even better. So please, when you get a moment, go to ksvy.org. Click on that donate button and give what you can. Giving to KSVY. That's the holiday spirit. Happy birthday, Dad. December 5th, 2019. This is KSVY 91.3 and .org Worldwide. How you doing on this very nice Thursday? Weather-wise, got a slight chance of rain today. Cloudy, the high 58 degrees. A calm wind becoming east around 6 miles per hour later on. A 40% chance of rain mainly after 10 o'clock tonight. Cloudy, 46 the low. New precipitation amounts between a tenth and a quarter of an inch possible. On Friday, they say rain could be Heavy at times. Heavy rain. 59 the high with a 90% chance of precipitation on Friday. Get the umbrellas out again. We're going to be wet. But keep listening to KSVY and we'll keep you dry and snugly throughout the entire day. And then you can donate. And keep us on the air at KSVY.org. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hope today joined by Dr. Stuart Eisendrath and his new book, when antidepressants aren't enough, harnessing the power of mindfulness to alleviate depression. So, uh, coming back to sort of the formative, some of the formative areas of this, I mean, since ancient times, the study of the mind management has occupied teachers and gurus and philosophers offer, and offer our parents. I mean, I, I, I don't know how, I, how where, where you get into this, but even, even back in the early 1900s, there was a famous uh, Indian sage called Vivekananda who came to Southern California, and he proclaimed that the mind is a drunken, a drunken monkey that fits about and is uncontrollable. And uh, so, if anytime you read any of these uh, people who've given some thought to the nature of the mind, it's, it's a very, very old struggle in terms of what to do about the mind. And I guess one of the things that makes me so satisfied with your book, Dr. Eisendrath, is that uh, you go right into the belly of the beast with it, and you make it. You you give us some some very very simple steps that we can take uh, quite directly, um, and not having to go through a lot of ancient thises or uh, other other windows. We, we we go right to the windows that you provide, and so 
speaking of that provision, I thought what we'd do, now that we're, we're in the larger body of our program, I thought what we'd do is we'd go through the part one, two, three, and four, and maybe I'd ask you if you'd be so kind to uh, sort of give us a synopsis, if you will, of part one and then part two and then as on, onward, and then maybe we'll have some other discussions in the middle of that, and then maybe we'll have some chance for some questions at the end of the hour should, should people choose to call. But uh, so if you wouldn't mind jumping right into the, the power of now, give us a little taste of what the power of now is about. Well, mindfulness is really focused on uh, knowing what you're experiencing as you're experiencing it. So it's focused on the present moment. And uh, that present moment, this, this present moment, is not focused on the past or the future. It's just focused on the present moment. And what that does for people in terms of their mood is it helps them to be uh, free of depression and anxiety in this way. Depression can be experienced as if the person has already experienced a loss in their life. Something in the past has happened leading to a sense of loss. Whether the loss is real or just imagined, the person feels as if they've had a loss. And uh, anxiety, on the other hand, is someone anticipating a loss in the future. Some disaster is going to happen or some catastrophe. So anxiety and depression can be sort of thought of as time travel, where the person is preoccupied with the past or the future. And... Uh, what mindfulness does is help the person really uh, be uh, free of that and be focused on the present moment. And one thing that you said about the mind flitting around like a mon monkey is important to notice that uh, that people often have the misconception about my, my meditation in general, to have it be that they think they should lock their mind on something and not have it uh, flit around and wander off, <laughs> that mind wandering. Right. So that is a, a complete misconception because, as you're implying with you know your your mention of uh, a monkey flitting from one branch to another, uh, our minds generate thoughts all the time. Some studies have suggested that our minds generate 70,000 thoughts a day in a study at the University of Southern California. So our minds continuously generate thoughts, just like a popcorn popper. So when you're focusing your attention on something, and in mindfulness meditation we focus on things like the breath or body sensations or sounds, our minds will wander off, and that's part of the meditation. The mind wanders off. And you congratulate yourself on noticing that and bring the attention back to the, uh, uh, the, to the object of attention. Right. And so that's really part of the meditation process. And that learning and accepting that your mind will wander and realizing it's part of the process is a part of building your skill in focusing your attention. And, and, and as you point out, we're not trying to empty the mind. This is a, that's a completely different, a different idea and, and not congenial with what you're talking about. That's, that's completely correct. It, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to, to empty the mind of all thoughts. Even ex very experienced uh, meditators, Buddhist monks, still have mind-wandering because that's what minds do. Right, right, and of course, the other thing that you talk about is is that that, uh, and we'll we'll get into more of this as we move through. But the the many people believe that what their mind, the the bubbling of their mind with all the various things, the seventy thousand thoughts that they that filter that flitter through their brain, they they align with them or sometimes accept them as fact. <laughs> and one of the things that you're quite forthright in encouraging us to not do is exactly that, is to, is to consider the thought, allow the thought to come and go, but not to, not to, as you say, walk into the store and buy it. 
you know, so that's a, a, a very, very big piece I find for some, so many of us who, who when we have dark moods or when we have uh, worries about our, our right, rightness in the world, our right, our, 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 our appropriate place in terms of various things, we, we somehow are deeply criti critical of ourselves and we carry these thoughts and, uh, like in a loop. And you talk a lot about the, the various kinds of loops that we can get into with recurrent thinking. And we think of those loops as being as if we were thinking. And you're calling that rumination. So we'll, we'll definitely get into the topic of rumination because I think that's one of the really wonderful gifts that you give us in terms of reminding us how what rumination is about and kind of how that how that isn't working for us. But so is there anything more to say about the first uh, part here, the, the, the power of now? I, I sort of jumped in there and, and pushed it around a little bit. Uh, no, I think you, we covered the territory, at least, you know, in a, a little bit of an overview. Sure, to, sure. Uh, get some of the concepts. Okay. So then changing your relationship to your mind and thoughts, part two, that's our next journey here. And so let's get a little synopsis of that, if you'd be so kind. Well, uh, changing your relationship to the thoughts is realizing uh when you're focusing on meditation, that your thoughts set up a certain pattern. Uh, unfortunately, if you're depressed, you tend to generate negative thoughts. And then when you have negative thoughts, it tends to generate more depression. So in some respects, if you're depressed, you tend to get more depressed about being depressed. Right. And it adds to the suffering that takes place. And what mindfulness really is helpful with is breaking that kind of downward spiral of depressive thoughts and depressed mood. And it helps the person uh, to recognize, as you mentioned, that thoughts are not facts, that, are, that we tend, to, most people tend to believe their thoughts as if, <laughs> well, you know, that's true. These are my thoughts. They must be true. Right. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, I had this experience uh, as a, college student during the Vietnam era right. when we a group of us uh, occupied a, a, an administration building at the university I was at, and then uh, I saw the police come forward and start uh, hitting the students, and it was clearly the police doing this, but when I read about this the next day, it was just reversed, where they said the students attacked the police. And it was the first time, I was kind of naive at that point, but it was the first, first time I realized what you read in the paper may not be true. <laughs> and the same, thing, the same thing applies to our mind. Right. Our mind is not our best friend. My, when our mind generates these negative thoughts, most of them, including the ones we hold most dearly, are not true. So, you know, if you, if you write an email to somebody and you don't get a response, you may start to think if you're depressed, well, they don't like me anymore, or maybe I offended them, or some other type of negative thought versus a thought like, well, maybe they didn't get my email, or maybe my email was stuck in my outbox, uh, or maybe uh, they were so busy they didn't notice my email, all kinds of ideas that are impossible. So if you're more mindful and have some distance, what we call decentering from your thoughts, you can start to have a more skillful response to the situation rather than re merely reacting to it and taking action in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Well, you've kind of you've got you've kind of covered the two pieces there. Both the mind uh, is not always your friend, and you've covered the other piece, which is that the thoughts are not facts, uh, and how to befriend the observing self. Now, the observing self is a is a is a very old concept that I'm familiar with. In the Buddhist world, I'm a Buddhist practitioner, and uh, and I've been one for 40 years, so it, it's something that I'm very familiar with. And we're, of course, we use the term um, one-pointedness of mind, and and w a lot of the work of of the business of befriending the observing self lives in a in a different kind of purposeful journey. That is. Um, uh, bringing your attention to the now for in a, in a similar way to what you're describing here, but also for 
uh, spiritual growth purposes. Whereas, so what, what, you're, what, you're do, what you've done here, at least for my, given where I'm coming from, is that you've given us, you've secularized, just in, is, the say, is the same way that John Kabat-Zinn secularized mindfulness meditation, you've secularized the, 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 the opportunity, I, I think of it as, the opportunity of developing and observing self. So given that that's kind of a, um, a pretty, uh, what do I, uh, it's a fairly broad and kind of big idea, maybe you could help our listeners to describe a little bit of the journey that you use when you're telling your clients and your people you're working with or you're doing your research or so on. Tell our listeners about how you instruct the people toward developing that observing self and, and, and give us a little taste of what the teaching that goes with that is. Well, uh, we try to teach people uh, to step into that observing self role. So as people start to become more skillful and start to develop their ability to focus their attention, they can begin to notice themselves doing things like uh, having certain thoughts. They can observe themselves. They can observe that popcorn popper generating thoughts. And uh, they can... uh, as they're able to observe it, they can start to take a decentered view, which is really stepping into that observing self role, uh, and look down at what's going on. I mean, an analogy for that would be uh, if they, if, one, if a person was on a, a bridge looking down at a train pass through. Uh, the uh, uh, train tracks below them, they could notice their thoughts like train cars coming into consciousness and then fading away. Mm-hmm. And they could be in that observing role. Mm-hmm. And as they do that, uh, they become less connected with those train cars. If they're depressed, the tendency is to hop on a train car and you don't know where it's going to take you. Right. But if they're more mindful, they're able to look down and view the trains coming and going and uh, be in a position to have a decentered uh, stance or be in the observing role. And once that observing role is present, it gives them greater freedom so they're not really uh, stuck with latching on to the next train car that comes by, but rather being able to have uh, some distance from it. Right. So again, I was, I was still, I was still kind of interested in specifically. I'm, I'm, I'm almost sort of asking you to read your, <laughs> to read your protocol that you might hand a patient to say, well, you're going to learn how to create an observing self, and. I mean, it's, 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 you could say that it's a simple enough idea in a way, in terms of the words are quite simple, but the actual activation, the actualization of it, like as exactly as you say, it takes practice. And I guess one of the things that I'm so grateful for your book about, partly is, is that for those of us <clears throat> that have had a, a, a meditation practice for, for, for any length, for mine case, quite a long time, um, <clears throat> the business of this is a practice, this is a work, this is an ongoing Situation. In fact, I just had a client. I just before I came over here to the studio, I had a client who I handled. I handed a, a Xerox page of the cover of your book, telling her. In fact, I said, you know, one of the things that most that I'm most inspired to tell you about is to is to look at look at what's inside this book and look at how this is conceivably is related to what your needs are in terms of various. She's quite a long list of recurrent health problems, and uh, so. Anyway, the, the, the development of the observing self, of course, as I said before, comes with lots of traditions. There's, there's quite a lot of tradition in the, in the psychology world that I'm from. I'm, I, was a, I can't really quite say I was a student of Fritz Perls, but I, was, I did work with Fritz Perls uh, quite a bit a number of years ago when he was still alive, and I lived in Big Sur at Esland for a couple of years and was very involved in that kind of work. And so part of our job in terms of developing of the observing self was basically there was a war with the ego. The idea of part of what the observing, the observing self was, was attempting to do was to sort of spot the, the tendency of the ego to be out of control and, 
being the drunken monkey that I was talking about before. But of course, as, as you and I know, that the drunken monkey is everywhere. It's not just the ego. But um, um, so anyway, uh, let's see. Where am I going to go now? Um, well, we're 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 trying to keep moving through this process, and now we're gonna we're just a couple of minutes away from the next break, and so I want to let our listeners know we are speaking to Dr. Stuart Eisendrath and his new book called "When Antidepressants Aren't Enough: Harnessing the Power of Mindfulness." Now, Dr. Uh, Eisendrath, I'm assuming that you'd be willing to take a question or two from a call-in person. Is that true? Yeah, that'd be fine. Okay, well, I'll just let our listeners know then. Should there be interest in talking to Dr. Eisendrath and ask a question, possibly on the topic of depression and something of that type that's the part of our topic today, feel free to call us, 707-933-9133. After the break, that'll be in about two and a half, three minutes. So, um, the... The, the, again, as I meant, I'm just sort of re-mentioning it, but the, the gift of, the, of you talking to us about rumination, I, I want to get to that, but let's see. Um, the next, well, stumbling blocks to change and how to overcome them. I'm not sure we can get much done in, in, a, in a minute about that. So say, let's start, let's, let's cycle back to, to the word rumination and talk about how big a piece that is in your, in your understanding of what we're trying to do here. Well, rumination is very important. Rumination is a big driver of depression. And what rumination is, is getting stuck in endless loops of thoughts about past regrets and past resentments and, and ideas like that. And mindfulness can be very helpful with that because, first of all, most people who are ruminating don't know they're ruminating. They think they're solving a problem or dealing with a situation, and they're not because rumination doesn't lead to a solution. And we're needed, it doesn't we're, lead to an. We're going to need to hold that thought. We'll be back with you in just a minute. We're talking to Dr. Stewart Eithendrath. When antidepressants aren't enough, please stay with us. We'll be back with you in just a minute. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by the Tina Schoen Group, located at Sotheby's International Realty, Body Best Collision Center, and... Wow, it's December already. The spirit of giving is in the air, and we hope you'll consider giving to KSVY and help us reach our goal of raising $30,000 by the new year. KSVY and its volunteer hosts are always here for you, especially in the times when you need us most. Well, now we need you. We need your support so we can keep doing what we do and do it even better. So please, when you get a moment, go to KSVY.org. Click on that Donate button and give what you can. Giving to KSVY. That's the holiday spirit. This health moment is brought to you in part by Sonoma Valley Hospital. It's important to take an active role in your health care. Research shows that patients who have good relationships with their physicians and communicate well are more often satisfied with their care. To accomplish this, be proactive in providing your doctor with personal information. Then listen carefully and ask questions if needed. Don't leave your appointment until you feel you understand everything that was discussed. Make notes if you need to, and follow up later if you have more questions. Your symptoms change or you did not get the results you expected. Clear and honest communication with your physician is important to getting the care you need. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke is joined today by Dr. Stuart Eisendrath. When Antidepressants Aren't Enough is his book, Harnessing the Power of Mindfulness to Alleviate Depression. Now, I, forgive me for s stepping on your, your sentence there before I cut you off, but rumination is I, one, of the, one of the many gifts of your book for me is, is reading the way you handle that topic. So probably there's some more to say about that. So please uh, continue with the exposition on the, the, the poignancy and the, ne the necessity of, of grasping what the rumination issue is. Well, rumination uh, is something that people often do, and if they're depressed, uh, they may be stuck in a ruminative cycle about wishing things had been different in the past. And one of the real, I'd say, gifts of mindfulness is recognizing that a person is ruminating. So if you're, if you're sitting there ruminating, you might be able to say to yourself, ah, there I am ruminating. And if you know that rumination is a driver of depression, 
and doesn't lead to any action, then you can decide whether or not you want to continue ruminating or whether you want to turn your attention elsewhere. You have that choice. You can respond skillfully to the choice of rumination by either continuing it or changing your attention to something else. And you can test this yourself because if you say, okay, I'm going to continue ruminating for the next 20 minutes, you can see how you feel at the end of 20 minutes. And very likely, you won't feel better. You'll feel worse. And on the other hand, if you withdraw your attention from the ruminative cycle to, say, focusing on the breath or focusing on the body sensations, you may find a dramatic shift in your mood. So you can make that choice yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, now you you were you. I guess you are you still director of the depression center at UCSF. Is that is that or is that a past event for you? I stepped down from that. Uh huh. Okay. Focus mm-hmm. in on focus in on writing and mm-hmm. uh, speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly have. Um, there's a you have a gift for words, and you have a a gift for a, a declarative sentence. This I just I go from one one sort of satisfying declarative sentence to another in your book. So I so I thank you for the talent of your writing, and uh, and how crystal clear that you 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 create these things. So some of these ideas for our listeners who may may not be familiar with this general topic, that I suggest that they really do look at this text. And it's it it is there's so much crystal clarity in the in the way you present it, and the the other another part of it is also so often as you again as you point out in the books with so many people on on antidepressive medications, you 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 point to how primary care medicine simply doesn't have this the skill set really to to work beyond the oftentimes to work beyond the pharmaceutical uh, re- reply. And of course, at least in my experience as a as a practitioner, so often my clients tell me that they're pretty disappointed um, ultimately with just the uh, just the pharmaceutical approach. And you point out, I, I forget if you point out or if I heard it from you you talking, but uh, I listened to an N- NPR uh, interview that you did. But you say in Europe they have a different idea they don't just give people drugs they also give people psychotherapy so maybe you could talk a little bit about the american situation in terms of primary care and kind of how that's contrasted with uh europe or some other place that also has a little bit different way of trying to uh, address the issue of depression well uh the in the united states the uh, well, the, well, to be frank, the number one treatment for depression is no treatment. Right. People, people are, it's under-recognized, and if it is recognized, the big treatment for it is a statement like, snap out of it. And, and what do you and, have to be depressed about? And learn, to, and learn to live with it. Yeah. Right. And uh, Exactly. So after that, the most common treatment is... Uh, is a person seeing their primary care doctor and getting a prescription for an antidepressant. Primary care physicians prescribe 75% of the antidepressants in this country, mm-hmm. much more than psychiatrists do. Mm. And, uh, and of course, the primary care doctor who recognizes depression in their patient, uh, the easiest thing to do is to write a prescription. And uh, they don't have the capability of providing psychotherapy, typically, so the person is on an antidepressant trial. And in uh, Europe, in many of the countries there, psychotherapy is uh, more readily available and more readily covered by insurance. So uh, in some countries, even multiple time a week, psychotherapy is covered. Wow. So people, people have uh, you know much better opportunity to even if they're trying an antidepressant, to add psychotherapy to it. Mm -hmm. Let me clarify, I'm not against antidepressants. They can be life-saving for certain people. But the unfortunate aspect of them is they don't work for everybody. And even if they work partially, the person still often has residual symptoms that make their suffering uh, significant. Right. 
and 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 of course that was a lot of what I, at least as, as I read what you wrote, a lot of what when you got started and and I guess as you moved through the development of this work, you know you were you were initially starting with a with a post, at least as I read what you wrote, you were, you were starting as a, as a as a process for the post. Uh, pharmacy trial where people had done one or two courses of you I guess you said eight week trials of pharmaceuticals and then when they tended to relapse after that then you were a busy then you were offering uh, 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 mindfulness based cognitive therapy and then is it then you developed as it as you developed along so and then now it's you say at least as I remember you wrote you said that now what's happening is that some people are even doing the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy completely independent of pharmaceuticals. Uh, so help our listeners because many many of our listeners, after all, if one in six Americans is, is taking a, a psychiatric drug, I have to believe that a, a reasonably substantial portion of our listening audience are those people. And so. Um, and given that, as you at least as you present it, as, as I read it anyway, that you you're saying that originally you're and correct me if I'm wrong that originally this was a post relapse project, and then it evolved into this now, uh, in some cases a standalone. So help us understand about a little bit about how that transition occurred. Was that because of the research? Did the research drive it that way, or was this simply on the ground? practical uh, it worked because that's the way things that's the way the, the ball bounced I mean say a little bit about that if you would well yes uh, originally mindfulness-based cognitive therapy was developed as a relapse prevention strategy so if you take a sample of people who had recovered with antidepressants uh, that 50% of people and taught half of them mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and the other half had treatment as usual the persons, the, the individuals who had the mindfulness training had twice as good a chance as staying free of depression. And in a very large study that Willem Koiken did at Oxford, he took, did a very powerful study by taking people who had recovered and having half of them continue on antidepressants mm -hmm. and the other half getting mindfulness training and then being tapered off of antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And he followed them for two years and found, essentially, that the two groups were the same. They had just as good a chance, whether they were off of antidepressants, but after mindfulness training, as those who had continued with antidepressants. So it was a very powerful study illustrating that you don't necessarily have to stay on antidepressants indefinitely. There are other options available. And, and the way we... Excuse me, go oh, ahead. sorry, go no, ahead. No, go, go ahead, please. Well, where we got started with trying to develop mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is when we looked at our population, and this was at a, the Langley Porter Psychiatric Institute. Right. So we, our patients were uh, perhaps more significantly ill than the patients being seen in primary care. But in our population, we had a hard time uh, accumulating a sample of people who had recovered completely. Mm -hmm. Most of the people we saw were still suffering significant symptoms despite antidepressant trials. Right. That's where we started, started our trial, the people who had failed to recover despite two or more antidepressants. And our, in our study, the average duration of illness of the episode of depression was seven years. So this is a pretty, you know, substantial uh, suffering for a lot of people. And we wanted to develop the mindfulness training for those people so that they could have a better chance at recovery. Mm -hmm. Now, at your website, you have a, 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 a number of things, maybe for our listeners' benefit. Um, we only have, we're just almost, we're running, running out of time here. So tell our listeners a little bit about what's at your website so they can get a, a taste of, you know, they may, they, and also, do you have a YouTube channel or are you, have you given a talk on a YouTube channel so they could go to YouTube and also hear more of you there or not yet? Uh, I don't have a specific, some of my things are on YouTube, but I'd say, uh, if they go to UCTV, okay. uh, 
that is where uh, there are several of my talks th- there, uh, and they've been viewed uh, many times. Mm-hmm. So uctv.org uh, is uh-huh. where they can view me. Right. And there's also some. There's also a video on my website. My website has uh, a number of meditations that people can download or stream for free. Uh, they're really uh, meant to uh, uh, coordinate with the book chapters, but people can kind of test them out if they like. Wonderful. And uh, my website is uh, www.stewardisendraft. Dot com and Stuart is S T U A R T Eisendrath is E I S E N D R A T H StuartEisendrath dot com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I also have to say that um, in my experience as a as a Buddhist practitioner and li- living it, it, some time ago in that environment, I, I, I certainly wish that some of our, our Buddhist fellow citizens, um, or even not just those, but but people who are in a, in a contemplative world, because m- many of the things that, that at least I experienced in the contemplative world where we were busy, you know, formally meditating three or four times a day sometimes, um, one of the things we didn't learn really was some of the very, ba- the most basic things that you provide in your, in your teaching in this book, which is the simplification, in other words, we were busy with with other goals, you might say. But I th- what I'm so grateful to your book for is is that it it simplifies the process. And so I think what I'm trying to say is that even for people who don't necessarily feel uh, troubled in a, a, in a significant depressive way, but who have other kinds of mood uh, needs or other kinds of hunger to normalize their their psychic space, you might say, I think this book is a great gift uh, to. Give our list, give listeners and uh, readers uh, a, a, a very s- small, relatively simple st- series of steps that becomes that hopefully then become a practice that then really make life a different place. Really, if you if you're if you're successful in using mindfulness-based meditation, you really do have a whole big thing that you can work with in your life that is. A, a very high for for many people at least I I have to believe it's a high quality of life add on you might say so is there anything more uh, Dr Eisendrath that we should say before we conclude uh, the only other thing I would say is uh, the idea uh, of this is is with our with our brain studies we were able to show that after eight weeks there were significant changes in brain function right. It changes from depressive disorders to uh, normalizing brain function. So this, so meditation is not just smoke and mirrors. Right. It's actually taking advantage of the brain's ability to change with time, what is commonly called neuroplasticity. And we were able to demonstrate that with functional MRI. And, and that's impressive. And, and, I, and again, I'm grateful for the uh, drawings that you provided in the, in the end of the book, which articulate that rather uh, just plainly and quite simply. And I think that it's, it's one thing to imagine that our suffering is so fixed that we can't make, a di- make any real adjustment. There, there's, a, there's a thing called pessimist, pessimism, which is a very big part of at least my experience of depression and my experience of, of, of feeling of unwellness. There's there's a, and also in the in the medical community, there's a there's a I shouldn't say it, but there's a whole world of what's called medical pessimism, where you're never really going to get better. You just you know it's all about learning to live with it kind of thing. And I think what you've given us and the world really in this teaching is a whole another handle to put your hand put your handle on and hand hand on and and to move forward in your life in a in a more productive way. So. Dr. Eisendrath, I do celebrate this book, and I do celebrate and, and grateful for the time you spent with us today. Okay, thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, so, and, and all, all the best. Thank you. Bye now. So that's uh, our work with Dr. Eisendrath. It is a book that I'm very enthusiastic about. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a teaching, really, and it's a teaching by a scientist who... Um, Takes you through very, he holds your hand very carefully through all the steps of what he's trying to show, and he, for me anyway, it's he very satisfactorily makes the case for uh, 
dealing with your mind in a in a useful way. Here comes another call. Welcome to Health Matters. Somebody's calling. Yeah, hi, Dr. Eisengraff again. Yes, sir. I I, I just wanted to ask you if if it would be possible if you could uh, uh, write a review on Amazon. I'd really appreciate it. Good idea. Great idea. Happy to do it. Okay, thanks very much, and thanks for having me on. You bet. Take care now. Well, how about that? He likes he likes what we like. So, um, so we've been health matters has been somewhat intermittent in recent uh, recent months. I've been busy learning new things and doing other things that. So we're still going to be doing kind of in and out pro- programs. We'll not always be here live like we are today, but please do keep tuning us in. And we do, remember we're on uh, we're on iTunes and we're on SoundCloud. So you can listen to past programs in addition to the past programs that you can listen to here at KSPY in the in the archive. And as the as they were saying and during the breaks of the um, about this is the time to stand up. If you like this radio station, if you like what we're trying to do here, please feel feel obliged, if you will, <laughs> to go to KSBY.org and make a do- donation. We really do need support, and it does take. Um, a fair amount of money to keep everything going here, and we do try very hard to be useful to the community, and uh, I think we have in many in many ways. And uh, there's a don't don't hesitate to go to ksby.org and also look and scan through the programs that are available. There's just an amazing number of programs that are available to be seen and and, and listened to. That is listened to. And uh, then when you see something that you're interested in, tune us in. And, of course, you can either do it live or you can do it as a download or you can, you know, you can do it later. But um, there are some important things that are happening here, and we're happy to have you with us as today. And until next time, I bid you well.